Thank you for subscribing to the weekly sermons of Crossfire YC. We are the Youth Church of Crossfire World Outreach Ministries located in Springfield, Oregon. This podcast is updated weekly. There are things that have been passed down to us generationally. Some of these things have benefited our lives, while others have left us hurt and maybe at times we feel damaged. But God says this, no one has an idea, no one has even seen, no one has heard what God has planned only for those who love him. Nobody has seen, no one has heard, no one can even have an idea about what God has planned for those who who love him. Let me tell you something. God has a desired end for your life. He's got a desired end. He has looked into your future and has seen a desired end for your life. And what I love about God is this. He keeps it just between you and Him. He just keeps it between you and Him. So that no one can steal it, no one can rob you, no one can, no one can damage or abuse his heritage for you. He keeps it just between you and him. There is a desired heritage that God has for you, has for everybody in this building, and for those who have yet to come. God has a desired heritage for you. I was, I wrote this sermon because I, I, I was, I was with my daughter one service and uh, my, my wife, she was, she was gone somewhere. So it was just me and my daughter. And uh, I'm kind of taking in being a dad to a daughter. See, my son, you just grab him and just throw him, you know, and he's totally cool with that and he wants to do it again. But I I learned very quickly, you know, once my daughter started working and I'm, you know, I'm taking my son and just, you know, just slapping him around and throwing him up against the wall, putting his head through the wall, you know, just, he loves that kind of stuff. He just thinks that's the greatest on the planet and he just wants me to do it again and again. And I, I remember, you know, my daughter, she's, she's got this look like, you know, my turn, my turn. And I grab her, you know, just, and all of a sudden, you know, and just my wife, she comes running in, what's going on in here? And I'm just like, oh my God, fix her, fix her, fix her. She was so cool about 10 seconds ago, you know. And uh, I'm I'm still kind of learning what it's like to be a dad to a little girl. Just... It's a tremendous, tremendous opportunity and experience to be a father to a young lady. Uh, There's parts of me that I never thought were there that are coming out. You know, we got these like little, you know, three-year-olds running around our church and, you know, they start talking with my daughter. I'm like, you want to get your kid, please? You know, keep her, keep them away from my daughter. Don't get anywhere near my daughter. You know, they're like, there are three. I don't care. That's a boy. And no. I'm learning that there are certain aspects about me that 
I never knew were there. I wanted to show you some pictures. I, I was, I'm staying at uh, Pastor G's house. Go ahead, put up those daughter pictures for me, would you? I, I was thinking how to illustrate this to you guys. And I, I'm just, I'm laying in bed. G and his wife are up. Alicia, great pastor. You guys got awesome pastors. Give it up for your pastors. Amen. I'm, I'm sitting in their house and I'm, I'm actually staying in their daughter's bedroom. And uh, it's all pink and, you know, G thought I would like that. I don't know why. Just because I wear V-necks doesn't mean I'm like that. But I'm just looking around the room and I, I just notice all these... All these pictures and displays and signs. And, you know, when, when my son was born, I, I just threw up like Spider-Man and Wolfman and all sorts of different, you know, just crazy things. But why is it that when my daughter entered the world, all of a sudden it's like, you, even guys, you go into princess mode. It's like all of a sudden you want to go to, you know, Disneyland and, and go to the princess section and just hang out there, you know. Uh, that it, it just... I, I, as I'm looking around this room, I'm just noticing. You know, now, Alicia probably decorated the room. G probably has nothing to do with this whatsoever. Uh, just because there would probably be basketball, pink basketballs or something hanging up. But as I was noticing this, I, I was just laying in bed and just noticing this. That this young girl is surrounded with love. That wherever she goes in her room... She's going to know that she's a princess, that she's valued, that she is loved tremendously. Everywhere she goes, she's going to see pictures of demonstrating that love. She's going to see pictures of, of emotion. And she's going to, when she gets old enough to read, she's going to know she's daddy's little girl. She's going to know that she's daddy's little princess. And as I was sitting in here, I just started bawling in my bed or in her bed. I'm just bawling. I'm like, oh, God, I want to be daddy's princess. You know, and just like, where was my sign, dad? You know, I hate you. You know, where were you? Uh, my dad was a missionary. That's where he was. I, you know, if you're, if you're a parent in this place and you're, work, you're doing the work of God, let me tell you something. There's no better life you can have for your children. No better life. I live my life in church and... I live my life, you know, my parents pursuing God. And look what I'm doing now. I'm doing the same exact thing. Even though I remember I told my parents straight in their face, I ain't doing what you do. I hate your job. I wouldn't want to be you for a million dollars. 23 years old. I want to be you. Um, as I was there, I'm just, I'm bawling in their young daughter's bed. And I'm just like, I need a camera. So I, I ran in, you know, with the, uh, where, to where Alicia was at in the kitchen. I'm like, you got the camera. She handed me a camera, and I'm just, I'm in there, like, taking pictures. And I know G's probably freaking out, like, what is he doing in our daughter's room with a camera, you know? Uh, I'm just taking these pictures and just falling in love with this. There's a story in the Bible that just tremendously touches me, and I, I want to get into this. I did promise you guys that I would, I would get you out early, but... Uh, you guys were worshiping God, so it's your fault. Next, uh, go to go to that. We're going to read this story here real quick. I don't have my message Bible. Uh, you can thank whoever that guy, the bass player. Thank you so much for not bringing your message Bible. So we're just going to read it from the screen here. On his return, 
Jesus was welcomed by a crowd. Now, I want to lay down a, a foundation of what has just happened. Jesus had just gotten all his men together, and he told them that we're going to go across the Sea of Galilee to this town. We're going to go across the Sea of Galilee. Now, we were at a lake today. We were on these speedboats. How many of you guys went on the speedboat? Wasn't that just awesome? I didn't go. I watched from a distance because you guys are crazy. Now, here we go. Jesus is saying, we're going to go across the Sea of Galilee. Now, I've had friends who have been to the Sea of Galilee. And let me tell you something. I had a friend who actually got in a boat, a tiny little rowboat. And just by himself, he rode to the Sea of Galilee. And this is when the water is really low. It took him 17 and a half hours to get from one shore to the other. And then the people told him, the people told him that this is nothing compared to what it would have been like 2,000 years ago. It took one man 17 and a half hours to get from one shore to the other. So Jesus, he gets all of his men together. That's why I love being a pastor. Because you get to get people together and be like, you guys are going to work and I'm going to sit on the boat and watch you do it. So he got all these guys together. He got them on the boat and he says, we're going to row to the shore across the sea. So here they are. These 12 guys are just rowing their hearts out. I mean, they're just rowing and rowing. And they finally get to the other side of the shore. And all of a sudden, this crazy, psychotic, naked, demon-possessed, hairy, ugly man comes running out of the cave. And he's just butt naked. Now, just picture that. Please. A naked, hairy, beard probably down to his belly nastiness. Just pure nastiness. He comes running out, just screaming at the top of his lungs. To make a long story short, Jesus cast the demons out of him. Cast the demons out of him. There must have been like a thousand demons because Jesus asked the demon's name. Now, please, if you guys encounter a demon, don't sit there and say, what's your name? You know, that's just stupid. He was Jesus. (laughs) Now, he sits there, this demon, you know, my name is Legion, for we are many. And then Jesus cast the demons out into some pigs. And the pigs go psychotic and they commit piggicide. They, they throw themselves off a cliff and they drown in the ocean. Now, I want you to see this. This man has terrorized the countryside for years. Nobody travels down that path because this man was known to beat, maim, and kill people. Because of his demons. The, the Bible says that they tried shackling him and he would break his chains. Could you imagine how strong this guy was? Think about it. Some of you guys, you know, you guys wrestle and you can't break each other's hold. But this guy, he had chains and he would just break these shackles and they come falling off. And he would beat up and maim people. Nobody would go that way. This place, you know, a friend of mine, when he was telling me this, that, that you know, it, it was very common for people like that to be pushed out of town and people just didn't go down that path. They, they stayed away from that area. Jesus set not only this man free, but he set the people free from their fear of this man. And you know what 
The Bible says that the religious people got together and they went up to Jesus and they literally said this. This is too much change, too quick, too soon. You need to get out of here. Could you imagine telling that to Jesus? This is too much change, too quick, too soon. Get out of Dodge. Now, Jesus just got to the shore, guys. I don't know how long it took him to get there, but he just got there. So you know what Jesus does? He tells his men, let's get back in the boat. We're going to go home. If I was those guys, I would have been like, what? No, like Mickey D break? Can we get a, a slushy first? You know, let's at least maybe stay the night. You know, hey, let's sit and talk with the demon guy. They get back in the boat and they go back home. And this is the welcome that Jesus gets. On his return from that, Jesus was welcomed by a crowd. They were all there expecting him. Let me tell you something, guys. When you come expecting Jesus, Jesus shows up. When you guys come anticipating, the Bible says this, that when you come anticipating God, God will not let you down. When you come seeking God, God says, you'll find me. Not searching for God, seeking God. Let me tell you something. There's a reason why we call it hide and go seek, not hide and go search. Someone who searches for something, they're very analytical. I was a searcher during the game of hide and go seek when I was a little kid. I mathematically thought about, well, if that kid is only four feet high and he can only run this fast, he's probably hiding somewhere in the vicinity of this area. And sure, I may have caught him, but the guys I was playing with caught 20 guys because they're like madmen. When you play hide-and-go-seek, not hide-and-go-search, when you play hide-and-go-seek, you're just like a madman. You're just running around, you're tearing things up. You're flipping chairs over. You're busting down doors. You know, you're tearing the place up to find that person. The Bible says when you come seeking God, you'll find him. You'll find him. He was there all along. So they come seeking God. A man came up, Jarius by name. He was president of the meeting place. He was a pastor. He fell at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his home. I, 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 I sympathize with this guy. He's a pastor. He says... His 12-year-old daughter, his only child, was dying. Jesus went with him. I love this. Making his way through the pushing, jostling crowd. I love this. Here we got, we got a pastor here. He is the father of an only child. You got to get a picture of this. In Israel at that time. You were called blessed to have many children, but for some reason, God just gave him one. Gave him one child. A daddy's little girl. She's 12 years old. She hasn't even begun to live life yet, and she's dying. This man's heritage is about to go away. Because in their society... Your children, by the time of Jesus Christ, it didn't matter at this point whether it was a male or a female. Your child, whether it be your only child, would carry on 
what you are supposed to do. Now, let me tell you something. Even from coming from a minister's point of view, there is something so dynamic about your child picking up where you leave off. His entire heritage is based off this young girl that she gets married and, 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 and to a wonderful guy and this guy and her together become the spiritual leaders of their community. Him being a religious leader. He's a religious leader in the time of Jesus. The religious leaders, they didn't like Jesus at all. They despised him. They hated him with a passion. And here he was, a religious leader. Who knows what other religious leaders think of Jesus, but yet he goes to him regardless. His desired end, his heritage is in shambles, folks. His baby girl is dying. She's on her deathbed. I love this. Jesus went through the crowd. Now, this just breaks me. If I start crying, I, I'm so sorry. I am man, and I, I, I don't like crying during messages, but if, if I do, it just, it just touches me to the core. And maybe you need to hear this out here. Put, put that scripture back up. It says that Jesus, he went, Jesus went with him, making his way through the pushing, jostling crowd. Thousands of people are there for Jesus. And Jesus is trying to get to this man Jarius' home. Let me tell you something. The Bible says that Jesus knew everything. He is God. He knew that that day he was going to meet a man named Jarius. He knew that day that he was going to go to his house. He knew that day that there was a sick girl on the line here. And the Bible says that Jesus is just pushing through the crowd. Let me tell you something. When Jesus got an appointment with you, it doesn't matter what is standing in the way. He's getting to you. He doesn't care what, it, what, what blocks are in your way. He doesn't care what happened in your life. He doesn't care who is standing in your way. When Jesus makes an appointment to visit you, he's going to meet it. He's going to get through everybody. I know sometimes it thinks, you know what, I'm not that important. I'm insignificant. I don't pray enough. I don't read enough. Let me tell you something. That doesn't matter to God. When he's got an appointment with you, he's going to meet it. He's going to get through everything to get to you. I love that. All we have to do is ask. All we have to do is have a desire in our heart. And Jesus makes his way. Jesus makes his way to us. Listen to this in Hebrews 6, 11 through 12. It says this, and we desire... Listen to this. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. Listen, basically what he's saying is this. Is that, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> what is desire? My bad. 
What is a desire? The scripture says that is, it is a desire for God's promises of the fullness of life. Not through religious practices and agendas, but through a labor of love empowered by Jesus Christ. What this scripture is basically saying is this is, if you desire God's promise for your life, well, what is that promise? No one has spoken to me about a promise. Let me tell you something. I've been raised in church. Every evangelist, every minister, everybody that has ever walked into our church has always pointed me out in the crowd, said, come up here, gave me some word, and I went back to my seat. I'm not talking about that kind of promise. I'm talking about a promise straight from the Bible. I've come to give life and life in the fullest. That is the promise of God. That the bad of this world will never outweigh His goodness. Where sin abounds, God's grace does much more abound. What that scripture basically means is this. Where there is more sin... God's grace beats it every time. Christians are all freaked out that, oh my gosh, the homosexual agenda might be passed. Abortion, all this stuff. I'm sitting back totally excited. I had a lady up, came out to me one time. She's like, you're in sin. I had a lady actually tell me straight to my face because I'm excited about it. And I'll tell you why I'm excited about it here in a second. I'm totally stoked about it. She's like, how can you be stoked? How can you be excited about all this ugliness in our world? She told me, you're going to hell. And anybody who believes in, it believes in what you said is going to hell. She told me that. My wife, my wife will confess. My dad was standing right there. And I told her, I go, sis. And I did a little dance. Because as ugly, the, the worse this world gets, God's love is going to get bigger. The worse this world gets, God's grace is going to shine even more. The worse this world gets, the more people are going to desire hope. The worse this world gets, the more light it's going to want. I told her, I'm excited because now I get to shine. Now I get to shine. People are going to come and they're going to want to know that why is this ugliness happening? We thought we wanted this. We thought this was the way we wanted, but now our life is in shambles. Tell me where there's hope. Tell me where there's peace. A friend of mine attended, a, it was in Colorado. A friend of mine attended an abortion clinic that, 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 was, that was being erected and he went out there and he did a survey. 2,500 people we're protesting against this abortion clinic being up. And I, I'm totally excited about that. Christians making a stand, totally radical, awesome. 2,500. They've been out there for 12 days. He spent seven of those days interviewing each person there, asking them, how long have you been here? Some of them have been there the whole 12 hours. Some of them have been there just a day. 12, I mean, 12 days, one day, what, it doesn't matter. He interviewed him. The devastating thing is, is he asked him another question right after. How long have you been here? He asked him one more. How many people have you saved while you stay here? 100% of them said zero. One of them had the audacity, a pastor had the audacity to say, well, son, there's a time and place for that. 
And this is not it. We're here making a stand against this. He said, you know what I did, Doug? He goes, I went to the back door. There were security guards out there. They wouldn't let me in because they were afraid that as the moms were coming in, that they were exiting them out the back door. The security guards wouldn't let him in, so he spent an entire night talking to the security guards, telling them that all he wants to do is love them. All he wants to do is just let them know that Jesus Christ loves them. Finally, on his last day there, the security guard just let him in. And as each woman came out, as each family came out, he said, the decision you made was totally wrong. But I want to let you know, Jesus Christ loves you. He loves you so much, you can't even begin to comprehend his passion and desire for you. He is hunting you. I want want you to understand, Jesus is hunting you tonight. He's hunting you. Listen, stop trying to find God. Because we're lost, folks. We're lost. We're going to find our own idea of God. Just stand right where you are. Get on your knees and cry out to God and say, Here I am. Come and meet me. God finds us right where we're at. We're lost. I'm lost. I'm saved and I'm still lost. I make mistakes every single day. I need God to find me. I've tried finding God. I've read books. I got mountains of books. I've tried everything. But nothing out of all that knowledge beats just falling on my knees right where I'm at in my mistakes and my failures. Just falling on my knees right where I'm at and saying, God, I'm tired of finding you. Come find me. I'm lost. I'm pursuing my own idea of you. I'm pursuing my own thoughts. I need you to find me just as I am. This is what Jesus did. He's pushing through the crowd. Let's continue on in our story. It says this. Next scripture. Oh, I'm sorry. This is where I'm at. My bad. In the crowd that day, as Jesus is pushing through the crowd, people are touching him. Jesus, be my Facebook friend. Taking his picture. There was a woman who for 12 years had been afflicted with hemorrhaging. As long as this young girl that Jesus is on his way to go meet, as long as she's been alive, this woman has dealt with bleeding. She had spent every penny. She has spent her entire inheritance. She has spent her entire heritage. She spent everything she had on doctors, but no one had been able to help her. She slipped in from behind and touched the edge of Jesus' robe. At that very moment, I love this, at that very moment, the hemorrhaging stopped. She has spent everything she's got, her heritage, her inheritance, on doctors, and no one could stop her condition. I've talked with so many young people who are seeing psychologists and seeing doctors 
taking medication for depression. Parents are spending hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on these issues. But I've seen those same kids grab a hold of Jesus Christ and they have never had a problem since. They've left their pills at the altar. They've quit going to psychologists and begin praying for God's presence. Now, I'm not telling you to stop doing that. You gotta, you gotta make, that's gotta be a God thing and your parent thing. I'm just saying, it was so awesome one time to see a young person tell their mom, I've got Jesus. I don't need that anymore. I'm gonna stop cutting. I'm gonna stop hurting myself. I'm not gonna be fake on those drugs and those pills anymore. My wife is a living testimony of somebody who grabs a hold of Jesus Christ and says, I'm done, I'm tired, I'm chasing God and watching the transformation of God in her life. She has spent everything she has, but she reaches out to Jesus. Let me tell you something. This is what faith is. There was one time the disciples came to Jesus and they were like, Jesus, or Jesus was telling them that he just delivered this powerful message and they're, they're asking Jesus, we want to do more, God. We, we, want to, we want to change people's lives. And Jesus begins to tell them, when somebody messes with you, when you're offended, when somebody abuses you, when somebody hurts you, you are to forgive them. Now, all of a sudden, the disciples ask this question. We need more faith. They saw dead people raised from the dead. They themselves went out and casted demons and healed people. But why is it that when Jesus says you got to love people who hurt you, all of a sudden they needed more faith? They, they witnessed healings and casting out demons, not just with Jesus. They were doing it themselves. But Jesus says, when you're slapped in the face, when you're hit, when you're abused, when you're broken, you are to love these people. And they said, Jesus, we need more faith. You know what Jesus' reply to them was? He goes, there is no more faith. There's no more and there's no less faith. He says, there is just you doing what God wants you to do. That's all there needs to be. Let me tell you something. Faith is just reaching out and touching Jesus Christ. People say faith is this or that. And we're left struggling to find faith. But faith is just reaching out in hope. One of my favorite scriptures is in Hebrews. It says that faith is nothing more than just things that we hope for. Faith is simply made up of things that we hope for. This is faith. Let me tell you something. Her desire, when she reached out and touched Jesus, her desire was not for a church service. Because due to her illness, in the book of Deuteronomy, due to her illness, she is ceremonially unclean, meaning she can't come anywhere near a church. Her desire wasn't to get in a praise and worship service, raise her hands and dance around. That was not her desire because she wasn't even allowed in church. Because of her. Could you imagine there's ushers posted out in front of the door? And because you're sick 
and you can't get a healing, they're like, I'm sorry, you're not welcomed in church this morning. But bring us a doctor's note that you're healed and you could come back next week. That's what they did. She was not allowed into church because she couldn't stop bleeding. Her desire isn't for a pe- or isn't for people. Her desire for reaching out to Jesus wasn't for friends or, or for people because according to the book of Leviticus, she, no one could even take her as a wife because she was unclean. Could you imagine? For 12 years, no one has even touched her. No one has came up and put their arm around her and said, we love you. No one has ever grabbed her hand. For 12 years, no one has touched her. No one has even come near her because she's unclean. Just imagine for 12 years, no human contact. For 12 years. Sure, maybe somebody showed up at her her house or whatever and brought her food through a door tray, maybe. But she has had no human contact for 12 years. Her desire isn't to have Jesus as her Facebook friend. Because all she wanted to do, I love that. The Bible says she came in from behind. She wasn't like Jarius, who met Jesus at the boat and was like, I need you to come with me. Do you realize that by her touching Jesus as a rabbi, she was running the risk of being stoned to death for defiling a rabbi? She was risking, if Jesus turned around and said, what are you doing? Do you realize what you've done? You've touched me. I'm unclean now. Those thousands of people would have turned on her and killed her just like that. Her desire was just to touch the edge of his clothes. Everywhere that Jesus went, people were touching him. Let's continue on. says this. Jesus said, who touched me? Go to that next scripture. This is my favorite part of this story. When no one stepped forward, Peter said, but master, we've got crowds of people on our hands. Dozens have touched you. Leave it to Peter to point out the obvious. When Jesus says, everybody shut up, Peter boldly steps forward. He's like, I got this. Jesus must not realize that thousands of people are touching him. <laughs> oh, master, there's, if I was Jesus, I would have been like, what? You're an idiot. Thank you, Peter. I know there's thousands of people touching me. Thank you so much. But Jesus, he's more compassionate than that. That's why I'm not Jesus. Jesus is so compassionate. Jesus insisted, someone touched me. I love this part. I felt power discharge from me. Let me tell you something. This makes me totally excited. When you reach out and touch Jesus with a desire, with hope, Not just because it's the cool thing to do for a week. 
But you got something in the back of your mind that's just burning. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's you. You need God to do something powerful in your life. And you reach out and you touch Jesus in hope that this will happen. That's when power discharges from Jesus Christ. I love this. The power of God was unleashed in her and that was the difference. This was her turning point. A new life. Let me tell you something. You want a turning point with God? Reach out in hope for something. Reach out in hope that there, there's greatness locked up inside of me. There's something that God wants to do with my life. I, I believe it, so I'm reaching out and I'm touching Jesus. Something amazing happens. Many people receive healings, physical and emotional. Many get something out of life with Jesus Christ by being obedient to Christianity. But then there are those who desire the life that Jesus lived. There's a special group of people who desire a life that Jesus lived and power is released in their lives. Go on with that scripture. It says this. When the woman realized that she couldn't remain hidden. I love this. She couldn't remain hidden. There was something different about her. She knelt trembling before him. In front of all the people, she blurted out her story. Of why she touched him. And how at the same moment she was healed. Leave that scripture up. Here it is. She's, there's, there's something amazing about her. Let me tell you something. When you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, there's going to be something different about you. I've known Christians who say they've had encounters with God, but they're still dealing with the same anger problems. They're still dealing with the same frustration problems. They're still dealing with depression and confusion. They're still dealing with all these issues, and yet they're telling me that they've had an encounter with Jesus Christ. Well, then why aren't you different? Well, it's just my nature, Pastor Doug. God just knows I'm naturally an angry person. That's why... Jesus says that when you come in contact with him, when you accept him, when you come believing in him, he gives us a new life, a new nature. The old is gone and behold, the new has come to stay. When you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, all of a sudden your life is different. It's radically changed. There was a guy that just got saved in our church. His wife thought he would never get saved. Three years she tried it and everything. And he's a great guy. I was already a friend of his, you know, before he got saved. Not a really good friend, but my wife was a really good friend of his, but we were friends, cordial to each other. He was a great guy, nice guy. And what, you know, he got saved. And we went over to his house. And his next door neighbor met me. He's a Christian also. And he goes, I knew the very moment that guy got saved. He was already a great guy. But I'll never forget the morning 
after he got saved, we were both coming out of our car and he came up and he shook my hand and he goes, instantly, I felt there was something different about him. Instantly, I could tell that the old way of him living life was gone. Let me tell you something. God wants changed lives. Turning points. She tells the story. Let me tell you something. You can't have a turning point unless you have a reference point. You can't have a turning point unless you say, this is who I was. This is who I was. This is who I was. And this is who I am now. The problem is, is for some of us, we don't have a turning point because our turning point is still our reference point. We're still telling people, I got all these issues and all these problems. Oh my God, I'm so depressed. Our reference point is still the same. Some of us, we need a different story. This is who I was. This is who I am today. I was depressed. I was angry. I'm frustrated and confused. But the Spirit of the Lord now lives in me. And I got nothing but joy. In hard times, I got joy. In trials and in tribulations, I got joy. In everything I go through, I got joy. And I'm not talking about an idiotic smile on your face. I'm so happy because my cat died and he choked on a goldfish. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a kind of joy that says, out of this horrible ugliness of my life, God is going to bless my life beyond anybody's recognition. God is going to do amazing things with me because his Bible promises me that he will not let me be shamed in the eyes of my accusers. God will take me from nothing into something. That is the promise of God. She's changed. This next part says this. Jesus said, daughter, get a picture of this, please. Just bear with me for 10 more minutes, I promise. I'll be done in 10. Jesus said, daughter, you took a risk in trusting me and now you're healed and whole. Live well, live blessed. I want to first point out something amazing. This is the only woman in the Bible out of the four Gospels of Jesus Christ. This is the only woman that Jesus ever referred to her as a daughter. The only time that Jesus called a woman daughter. Let me tell you why. She didn't have a dad like Jarius. She didn't have a father. There was nobody saying, hold on, baby. Don't go yet. Fight this. Keep struggling. Daddy's going to be right back. I'm going to go get Jesus. There was no one for her like this. She was completely, utterly alone. She had to do this all by herself. That's why Jesus says you took a risk in trusting me because she could have been stoned. She could have been killed for touching him. Jesus restores her heritage for the first time out of 12 years she can go to church 
You see, it could be in a worship song, a worship service. And she could say, my God is greater. My God is stronger. My God is higher than any other. She could say that now in a worship service. She doesn't have to sit on the outside, wonder what it's like to be inside. She can get married. Her heritage can continue. Some handsome, studly Jacob guy is going to come up to her because Jesus says, live well, live blessed. There was a Jacob waiting for her, all ripped and 800 pack. (laughs) Or maybe an Edward if you're, you know, team Edward like I am. Amen. My wife's a traitor, man. She was team Edward all the way. We were like, yeah, team Edward. But then all of a sudden, Jacob takes his shirt off and she's like, I'm team Jacob. (laughs) Here we go. She can get married. She can have kids. Her heritage is going to get a picture of this. Her entire life changed just like that. With one touch of Jesus Christ, her entire life is changed. Well, what, what about Jarius' daughter? Did Jesus forget about her? Did he forget why he was pushing through the crowd? Let me tell you something. It's, all, it's, it's easy to get hyped in a crowd. But there's one, there's a few when they get in the atmosphere like this, they say, I want Jesus. No distractions. I got issues. I came to this camp because I need Jesus to do something in my life. What about Jarius' daughter? Let's continue. Says this. Go to that next scripture. Oh God, she's going to cry after this service. Next scripture. Please tell me it's on there because I don't have my notes with me. What? Okay, go to the next one. I'm skipping that. Keep going. Go. Mix. Go. Right there. Stop. While he was still talking, while he was still talking, someone from the leader's house came up and told him, Your daughter died. No need now to bother the teacher. How thoughtless that guy is. How would you like to suffer tragedy? And someone just comes up to you and says, It's done. It's dead. Stop praying. Stop seeking God. It's just done. Let me tell you something. There will be people in your life that will try to cripple your faith. That will say, You went out looking for Jesus and now look at you. You're still messed up. You're still making the same mistakes. You're still doing the same problems. One of the hardest things for me being a youth pastor was we would have a great, awesome event. And a week later, me and my wife would get a phone call from a parent saying, you know what, that was a waste of money. No change took place. They talked a good talk, but no change took place. And I said, man, one time I got so fed up let me tell you something. You get my Terminator side out, it is over. See, this is just my shell. 
There is a hardcore Terminator machine behind this flesh. I, I looked this lady in the eye and I said, you know what? If you think 125 bucks was going to bring your kid back perfect, 100%, no problems, I go, then we would have had, we would have taken a billion kids to this event. We would have had parents lined up at the door waiting to pay their 125 to get kids to go to this camp or this conference or whatever. And I told her, I go, look at this. I go, all we did was point them in the right direction. It's your job to get them where they need to be. Don't push it off on us. Don't get me wrong. You guys got a responsibility to live for Jesus Christ. God is going to commission you when you walk out of this place to pursue and chase him regardless of anything. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to make failures. You're going to make stumblings. And you're going to go through all sorts of stuff. You're going to face hard times. People will try to cripple your faith. Jesus said this. Go next. He said, Jesus overheard and said, don't be upset. Just trust me. Everything will be all right. Going into the house, he wouldn't let anyone enter with him except Peter, John, James, and the child's parents. Go next. Everyone was crying and carrying on over her. Jesus said, don't cry. She didn't die. She's sleeping. She's sleeping. Let me tell you something. Jesus, first of all, he cleared the room. He got all those negative, cynical, judgmental, small-minded people out of the room. Let me tell you something. Jesus clears the room on your desired heritage. He gets all, he gets this, he gets everybody out. And it's just between you and him. He gets everybody out. The people, they love this young girl. They're weeping and crying over her. And Jesus says, don't cry. She's just asleep. Whenever, whenever we hear the word asleep in terms of death, what it means is this. It means that that person died in faith. This young lady had faith surrounding her. There was a dad saying, I'm going to go get Jesus. Everything's going to be okay once he gets here. She died with faith. As a parent I, uh, of, of young kids, nap time is heaven time. If you're a parent in here, can you give me an amen? There are two parents nodding in sync right there. It's like an iPod. They're like, yes, we are in sync. If you're a parent, nap time is like heaven. If someone knocks on the door, that person is going to die. That person will die. I promise you. I'll even say that through the door. I have a gun. My kids are asleep. I'm getting to study. I'm getting to watch a movie by myself without my, my son. What are they doing? Close your eyes. You know. I get to enjoy something. And that person has the audacity to knock on the door. That is going to be death because my kids are taking a nap. When someone dies in faith, 
The ability for Jesus to raise them from the dead is just like a parent waking their child up from a nap. It's just like a parent going to their kids and saying, all right, get up. Now, I don't know why you would do that. That would just be stupid, you know, let them sleep. But if you got somewhere to go like G and his wife did today, all right, let's go. Let's get on with this. Let me tell you something. It says this. You need to put a fourth step on this, please. (laughs) When he said she's just sleeping, they laughed at him. They knew she was. Could you imagine laughing at Jesus? Jesus was like, I'm going to raise her from the dead. (laughs) I mean, they were just crying and weeping and now they're laughing. What is Jesus, a comedian here? They knew she was dead. Let me tell you something. Even though Jesus clears the room on your desired heritage, when it's just between you and him, it doesn't mean that there aren't people looking in and trying to bring down what God wants to do. It doesn't mean that there aren't going to be people who are going to sit there and mock you, judge you. It doesn't mean that there aren't going to be people who are going to say, that's not going to work, or you can't do that. There will be those people. But Jesus does this, gripping her hand. He didn't just go up to her. I need a girl. He didn't just go up to her and go, hey, sweetie. He gripped her hand. Gripped her hand. And he said, get up. Get on your feet. Let's do this. Let's continue on with life. My dear child, get up. She was up in an instant. Up and breathing again. If I could have every head bowed really quick, every eye closed. Do that dimming the light thing. That's hot. Thank you. Don't go to sleep on me, please. He grips her hand. If, if you do the worship thing, get up here. Do, do that worship thing you guys do. That's great. He grips her hand and tells her, child, get up. I, I just picture this. She opens her eyes after being dead. She opens her eyes and the first person she sees is Jesus. The first hand she felt was Jesus. The first voice that she heard was Jesus's. Everything is restored. Her innocence, her healing, everything is restored in that moment. Jesus just became the first to her in a moment. When her disease, when her affliction, when her problems, when her abuse, when all that was the first thing that, 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 that was in her life, in a moment, Jesus wiped all that away and became her first in everything. The first one she saw the first one she felt, 
the first one she heard. A heritage restored. Jesus heals our heritage so that we can be called children of God. I want everybody in this place to stand up really quick. Just do it with me really quick. I don't know why I feel led to do this, but uh, we're going to do it because I'm feeling it. Throw up my last scripture, Galatians 4, 4 through 7. I want you to repeat this scripture after me. I want you to believe it in faith. Remember, faith is nothing more than just things hoped for. Reaching out and touching Jesus. Let's read together. You guys ready? If you can't read, just mouth the words and just look like you're reading. And just believe it. Here we go. I know it's the summer. Brain cells are dying. You know, it's all right. Let's go. You guys ready? Yeah. Everybody ready? Yes. Let's go. One, two, three. But when the time arrived that was set by God the Father, God sent his son, born among us of a woman, born under the conditions of the law, so that he might redeem those of us who have been kidnapped by the law. Thus, We have been set free to experience our rightful heritage. You can tell for sure that you are now fully adopted as his own children because God sent the spirit of his son into our lives, crying out, Papa, Father, doesn't that privilege of intimate conversation with God make it plain that you are not a slave, but a child? And if you are a child, you are also an heir. With the complete access to the inheritance. What this scripture is saying is that now with Jesus Christ living inside of us, we have access to everything that God has for us. Nothing blocking us, nothing hurting us, nothing taking us away. Let's raise our hands to God right now. We're just going to pray.